of Micah 6. So if you want to turn there, if you have a paper Bible, I have a paper Bible now. I realized I was using my phone almost exclusively for about eight years. And uh, I still had paper Bibles, I just didn't, you know, they were old. Now I have a new one. So, <laughs> great. My wife gave me a thumbs up. It's nice to have a paper Bible. Turn there, though. And we also have it on the screen. Um, I'll read the verses that uh, lead up to it. Micah 6, 6 through 8. And this is what it says. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted one, before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgressions, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? And this is a response. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? This is it. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So this message is called, What God Wants, and I want to pray um, before we really get into it. So Father, bless this time as we look at your word, Lord. Bless these, um, this discussion that we would have, that um, it would speak to our hearts and change our, mind, change our lives. In your precious name, um, I pray. Amen. So I think that what this list here, these three things probably is not, if one was to make a list, the entirety of what God wants out of us as believers. But I do believe that everything else that God wants probably is inside that, or you can't do it without these. So it's like, it's kind of non-negotiable stuff. I think it's a good description of when, you know, they ask Jesus, what are the greatest commandments? And he's like, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I think this is kind of another way to say that sort of thing. I also think it's a good way to describe um, the life Jesus lived on this earth, that Jesus did these three things the best that they could possibly be done, and that that's what uh, um, he does want from us. And what I want to talk today about is a kind of break down each one of these, talk a little bit about what they are, and then how that might feel in our lives. Because I think that there's a tendency... We could be, like, you can encounter God in a lot of different ways um, in your life. And depending on where you're at that day or in your life at that season, sometimes you might say, or depending on what you're up to, good or bad, you know, the way you encounter God, um, His response is going to be consistent, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And it's never not necessary. We, we think sometimes like, well, you know, God, I want to do, uh, how, like, I, I, you encounter people sometimes, like, in pastorally, you're like, well, like, what can I, how can I be living fully for God? Like, I'm not being radical or something like that. This would be an answer to that, even though it doesn't feel like it. You see what I'm saying? You know, we always want something grand. And also, I want to say this specifically, I want you to have this in mind, because I think that Probably always, I didn't like study this, but just based on some of the reading, you know, I, I don't think human culture is ever going to not teach the opposite of this, okay? But I think our culture in this day and age 
is like on steroids teaching the opposite of this. And specifically, I think the tool being used teaching people to act the exact opposite of these three things is social media. Now, we bring up social media a lot in a negative term around here, or negative light around here. Obviously, we don't think it's evil. Our church has a Facebook page, so it's just a thing. You know, it's the same as money or anything else. You can use it for good or bad. What I'm trying to say is probably, or like, you know, <laughs> like anything. Yeah, like money is a perfect example. Money can be used as a blessing, but it can also be used to destroy people. You see what I'm saying? And so the thing itself is just thing. It's money. It's amoral. It's not, a, you know, but how people are using it matters a lot as to whether or not it's good or evil, you see. And I believe when you talk about Satan roams around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, do you think he might roam around on social media of any kind? Absolutely. At the same time, you might like, well, God uses all things for the good of those who love him. Like, well, of course he does. So God's, God's not, not there. What I'm saying is probably, and hear me when I'm saying this, Probably most of us use it in the evil way a lot. So don't think I'm just talking about all those bad people out there. I'm thinking that if you don't try and you just take it, you're probably spending, it's not like all or nothing, all right? You're like, well, I shared a Bible verse. You're like, fine, I don't, you know, whatever. But my point is you have to actively try to not do evil with this stuff. It doesn't naturally put you into doing the right thing. And since we all spend so much time doing it, some of you are like doing it literally right now. Um, <laughs> I'm not offended that much. But the, uh, <laughs> but, uh, the, since we all use it so much, I think you, this needs to be thought of in that, that context. It's not the only thing we're talking about here. I mean, this, in context, this verse is like some pretty serious stuff, and it's, God's addressing some serious situations. So to like devalue that to just what I'm saying, like here's how you should act on Facebook. It was a little bit silly. But what I'm trying to say is, practically speaking, when you apply it, you're going to find a lot, of, a lot of ways to apply this on Facebook. And since it's been on my mind this whole week, I've been watching. And you know, I'll be darned if Facebook doesn't bring out the word. Or not Facebook. I, don't, I mean, whatever. It doesn't matter. They're all the same thing. You know, you're like, well, I don't use Facebook. I use Instagram. You're like, okay, that's based... Like, that's actually owned by Facebook. My point is, they're all the same, and they all do the same thing, and we all use them in the same sort of ways. And, and I've, been, I've been watching, I, like, I'll be darned if it doesn't bring out the worst in people. You know, I could give you some examples from this week, but it would just be more of the same junk. I mean, like me showing you, look how bad and stupid these people are for being bad and stupid about these other bad and stupid people. You know, it's like, it's not constructive at all. So we'll move on from that. Um, but, I, uh, well, one more thing. I, I think that the reason we keep bringing it up is because the amount of damage that Satan is able to do to Christians, believers, in this day and age through these tools is dumbfounding. I think it's worse than TV. I think it's worse than just the internet and YouTube in general, it's, it's, it's like specifically found a vein to plug all this stuff in that is so destructive. And we, it's like we all don't care. So it's weird, you know. And uh, so anyway, be thinking about that. So what was this verse originally talking about? What is it really about? And this, this, 
the prophet Micah is writing in a context where Israel, uh, the, the kingdom's divided, and they're not doing right. They're not doing well. They have a covenant with God. It isn't going so well, and they're doing bad things. The, the leaders are corrupt. The, um, they're t- he, he, he lists off lots of stuff, like, the, you know, in the other parts of the, the book, you know, the poor's land is being taken from them and sold, and that's against, you know, the laws, of, you know, earlier in the, in the Bible, you know, and, and they're, they're doing things like that. The prophets are, like, for sale, like, we'll give you a good word, God will be with you if you pay us, you know, and, and he's specifically addressing these things, and, and it's kind of a mess, and G- God is saying, like, I've withdrawn my protection, and, like, neighboring nations are going to come in and, you know, mess you guys up uh, because of that, and, but in the end, he's like, but I'm faithful, and I am going to restore you, and there's a lot of good news at the end, but he's just saying, like, this is what happens when you turn your back on me, guys, you know, and in the middle of that, we find this verse where God's kind of saying, like, you know, if you want to know what I care about, it's this. And so in this kind of moment in Micah 6, the prophet's writing about how, you know, uh, I kind of see the bad situation we're in, but what can we really do about it? I mean, what can we come to God with? How can we make this right? What could I do to really be good with God and those kinds of things? And then here's his response. And you see in the verses of 6 and 7 the kinds of things that they're willing to do. Um, they're willing to, uh, to, to like offer sacrifices, burnt offerings, which God does ask for, which is kind of interesting. And then, then they're like an oil, pouring oil over these sacrifices also in the same laws I was referring to. This is, this is God's stuff. Then they move past that and move into offering their firstborn children, which is absolutely crazy to God's eyes, you know, but in the, some of the other gods they worshipped at the time, that was like normal stuff, which is insane. So that's like offensive to God, like, we'll even do this, and he's like, no, you know, and then his response is, um, he has shown you, O mortal, he's speaking through the prophet, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God, and so let's break this down a little bit, um, in individual pieces. And I like how he says he has shown you because he kind of has this like, you should already know this type sound to me. Like he's already shown this to you. This is not news. You know, all this stuff you just listed off is not a good idea. Um, And he's already shown you what he really cares about. And you'll look at the kind of interplay where I'm going to come back to this at the end, so I don't want to say too much now, but this idea that like, when we are encountering God, especially when we're convicted of something, especially when we really want to go for it, especially when all of that kind of thing, we're always so focused on these outside actions. You know? God's always kind of, you know, that's not all bad, but I really care about the heart. Jesus says this so much. Men see outside, and I see the heart. And... The three things he lists off, to act justly. When you talk about justice, um, sometimes people get all off into, like, you know, justice is when people get what's coming to them, which is not really the the best definition of what justice is. Um, That could be part of it, but it's like a subset the best definition I've heard just kind of put in words, in my opinion, 
Uh, Mike Bickle, the director of the International House of Prayer, described justice as making wrong things right. And I can't think of a better, more encompassing, proper definition of that. So when you say act justly, or some translations say do justice, God is saying what I want from you is to make wrong things right. And I also want you to do the right thing all the time. (laughs) Even when no one is looking. The second thing, he says, love mercy. This, I think, over the last week when I was observing on Twitter and things, has suffered more than even the, the justice part. Loving mercy, not just doing mercy or like being merciful, but literally loving it. Like loving, like if mercy is defined, because some translations say kindness. They say to do justice and love Kindness. So if mercy is something like undeserved kindness, I really think our culture is, is losing that. Because, man, if, 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 if the quickest shared things on the, on, the, on the Internet that I see are like, look at this bad person did a bad thing and it's been shared 80 billion times. I'm like, gosh, I mean, what are we trying to say with that? Like, I'm so much better than this person, you know? And, and like, I'm not defending any, like, it doesn't matter what it is. Like, it probably was terrible. You know what I mean? But the whole idea of, like, un, like that's not undeserved kindness. That's kind of like, yeah, if this is a, a bad thing, you know, I don't know. I don't even know what you would call that. But it's certainly something like the opposite. Like when Jeff, Pastor Jeff spoke last week about vengeance, which was something like acting in justice with hate. And we always miss that. You know, like, this looks, this is, this person's doing justice, you know, but they're hateful. Oh, man. Hold on. I just upset the offering. So, there. I'll put that over there. But doing justice with hate in our heart ruins the whole thing. And then looking at something like mercy or lack of mercy with hate in our heart, I don't even know what the words would be because it doesn't even make sense. I don't think you can ha- I don't even think you can be merciful with hate. I don't even know, but the point is that's where I think we live. So much. And it's, we talk about it or act online like it's justified. Like, I should be outraged by this thing. And by somehow voicing my outrage, it makes me say I'm better than these people. And that's great. Look at me. Or something like that. I'm paraphrasing what I think is going on. I don't really know. But it just keeps stirring and adding to this pot of not liking mercy, you know, I think deep down, I, w- I was thinking about this, like loving mercy, like loving when you see someone receive undeserved kindness. That's, this is describing God's heart, I believe. It's describing how Jesus sees things. This is describing how Jesus acts. 
When Jesus tells us to love our enemies, right now, with my unofficial survey, online, someone might do something and apologize. And they still want to hate the person for it. And I'm like, that guy just said sorry. I'm like, well, yeah, but he didn't mean it. He's just doing that for PR or something. Like, well, okay. How do you know that? You know? And uh, whatever. I mean, you see how this, it doesn't always. But my point is, this door is closed in our hearts or something like that. It's like our culture is becoming hardened and hardened. And then Jesus is coming in and saying, I love mercy. And my people are supposed to love mercy. And most of the people I was watching are Christians. I mean, I forget the people. I mean, whatever they're doing is what they're, I mean, I don't even know. But I'm talking about believers here. People who would be like, I follow Jesus. And I'd be like, there's a list of three things we need to be doing. And then the last one is walk humbly with your God. I like this because walk is an action. He's not just saying sit humbly with your God or be humbly with your God. Being with God is good. I'm not I'm talking about like what does the Lord require of you? He wants you to walk with Him. I like the word humbly because it reminds us that we aren't God. <laughs> and that by walking humbly with God probably isn't going to make you look cool and your God I like this phrase your God because God is not distant he's not saying I'm sending you off on this thing go do it because I require it of you he's saying walk with me with me your God and he's with us it's active not passive and so some points about all this this is actually not that long of a message which is nice God cares about the heart. Okay? They list off all of these things they want to do on the outside to make it right. Like, this will look good. This will be good. You know, I'll, you know I'm going to look good doing this, or God might be pleased with this. And he's like, I don't really care about any of that if this isn't really going on. You know, it doesn't matter if you have a huge... See, this is the, even the weirder thing, is this culture propels... Um, things forward that are economically viable, which is fine. I don't have a problem with that. But when it comes to spirituality or growing in God, sometimes it's not the most economically viable thing. (laughs) I found somebody that was saying about Christian authors that the publishers function so much like non-Christian publishers that they're evaluating, like, and it, it, part of this is just business. You know, they're like, we need to, if we're going to print a book, we need to make sure we can sell enough to, you know, make money. So this guy over here, that's a safe bet. Let's print that guy's book. Now, what does it have in it? It's good. I mean, it's good, you know. But you can see how this type of logic can get to where you're starting to propel things. They're like, well, it's viable. You know, we're going to make a lot of money from this. You know, and then what, what happens when somebody comes along who's got the, the book that might be the word of the Lord, but it's not economically viable. You see what I'm saying? And these people were talking about how some of that's changing, I guess, in, you know, the world. But my point is, it doesn't matter who 
says things or what's what's what we're doing or you know like I'm talking around something because I feel I don't want to yeah I don't want to say anything personal about anybody the thing is in church like human beings like to organize things you know who's in power here you know and who you know and people are trying to figure that out and all this kind of stuff Whatever, it's fine. It just happens, and it's good. Bible uses it's all in there. There's kings. There's all kinds of stuff. All right. So there's nothing wrong about leadership. There's nothing wrong about none of that. But there's like a social stratification that can start happening. And what I think sometimes is taught is that uh, the way the world uses that to keep people down and to, I mean. There's serious things like oppression and serious things like, you know, war and destruction. And then there's not so serious but big to us kind of things like bullying and depression. They're serious, but you hear what I'm saying. You know, like personal things. Let's call them that. These are, these are massive things. These are personal things. So, yes, a war somewhere by evil people it affects more people and is a bigger deal than this person who's making fun of me at school. But God still cares about this. And it's, you, okay. I didn't plan on this part, so work with me a little. The, uh, I think what's taught by a lot of the church is that this framework of hierarchy and power and stuff like that doesn't change. You just get to win it all when you're a Christian. Now, like I said... These power structures, I think, do exist, and God even acknowledges them. But not all of them are right, and not all of them are good. And um, so (laughs) what I think the contrast is to what I think God is actually saying through this verse and other places is that these structures don't matter anymore in the way that we feel like they do. You know, like I hear, I heard a story, like in India, there's a caste system, which is messed up, and I don't know, it may still exist in a lot of ways, and in, it does, yeah, so like in uh, their religion, you're reincarnated, and so you're reincarnated based on the stuff you did, which if you reincarnate into a, like, so in our culture, if there's like a homeless person, we may or may not have compassion on them, but it wouldn't be unreasonable to. Like, this guy's got a bad, you know. In their culture, they deserved that because they did bad things in their last life and they're being punished for it. You see what I'm saying? And what it ends up creating is there's this like elevated class and this lower class. And you can't, like in America, you're like, self-made, I can climb up through that. You can't do that there. It's like, I'm permanently this, you're permanently that. And that's a very strong example of one of these things I'm talking about, Okay. And I heard a story, I think it was E. Stanley Jones, it might not have been, but um, a person on the lower caste who's a, you're, you're just a permanent loser in every single way you could possibly be. So much more than being a loser at school or not being, have many likes on Facebook or something like that. Like your life is junk, all right? And you've even been taught that that's what you deserve. So mentally you're screwed up because... I deserve this because I'm obviously a horrible person. I don't know what I did because I can't remember, but I obviously deserve this because in my last life I did all this bad stuff. None of this is, don't, 
That's not how the world works. So I'm just giving you the mindset, okay? So you're living in a permanent world where you're a permanent loser and you deserve it because you did it yourself. And then through encountering Jesus, he's like, no, none of this is right, you know? And what the story I heard was this guy from the upper caste, you were supposed to like move out of their way and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, and this guy from the lower caste had now found the Lord and was freed from all of these lies. He's free from them. But he still lives in a society that says this sort of thing. Okay? So when we talk about like being in the world but not of the world, everybody else that looked at him goes, that's still a loser. And then he goes, no, I'm not. And I don't care. You know? And, he, and so the encounter isn't, now he's walking down the road and the upper caste guy's coming and he's like, oh yeah? You're going to have to get out of my way now, jerk. You see what I'm saying? What happened was, and I don't remember all the details, the, the other guy just kept noticing. He's like, I, what's different about you? Like, you're still a, a loser. But you don't seem sad. And you don't seem whatever. You know, all of the losery stuff. And he's like, well, I met Jesus and... He did this, and he changed my life, and I'm saved now, and all these kind of things. And he's like, yeah, but you're still a loser. And he's like, I don't care anymore. (laughs) You see what I'm saying? So what I'm trying to say without being too specific about the kind of things we do, it doesn't matter if you're in a Christian bubble, okay? And it doesn't matter how small you make that Christian bubble. Because we're tempted sometimes to go, you know, this, this world is, you know, Messed up, so I'm going to get in this Christian bubble, and then I'm going to make, oh, no, that, that, I can't trust it. And you end up making a very small Christian bubble, or maybe you go to a Christian school where it's supposed to be, they don't do this stuff, you know? And I, you could even go to some, like, places that I've encountered where I saw this existing that I respect with the utmost, the Christian environment there, all right? Still, you find this. And frankly, it's even weirder, because if you're in a place where, you know, aggressive spiritual practices become the mark that makes you cool, it can get weird pretty quick, if you follow what I mean. You're like, I fasted 18 days. You only fasted three? You see what I'm saying? And like, some of you are like, what in the world are you talking about? Trust me. Trust me. You know, we can make up some weird stuff to be more impressive to each other, all right? You know? And then God's the whole time being like, walk humbly with me. Like, that whole thing doesn't matter. It is going to exist. In this world, it will exist. It will never not exist, and you'll encounter it. doesn't matter. You'll get a new job. There will be new things you'll have to, you know, negotiate. You, get, you move into a neighborhood. It may be a neighborhood full of really nice people. It may be a neighborhood full of jerks. I don't know. You know, it depends. You know. But the, the thing is, people do this to each other. And then there's this kind of hidden in the background in a lot of the church world that we like, no, we just get to win. And by winning means we get to, like, stomp you out. You bunch of jerks, you know, and no one is saying that that's what's really going on behind the scene because we're not saying that, you know, we're quoting Bible verses or we're talking about like to each other. We're like, you know, you know, and it's not always non-Christian people. It's like other Christian people that are just wrong for some reason. You see what I'm saying? And the whole I'm going off on this. The whole thing is not humble. Okay. And I'm not saying we're not bold. We should be bold. Like, if you don't think Jesus isn't humble. You have a problem. But if you think Jesus was humble and he was like a pushover, you also have a problem. Look at Jesus who lived this out. He's not, he's not, I mean, he speaks pretty clear to some people. And he's not scared to say harsh things, but he doesn't do it for the same reason. Like, let me put you in your place, you bunch of, you know. There's this kind of thing happening behind it, you know. And don't get me wrong. (laughs) 
I, what I meant when I said earlier is if you're not trying, you're probably doing this. Because I like it. <laughs> I like seeing people get what they deserve sometimes. Depends on what they're getting and what they did. I'd be like, told you, you know. And I, and I feel like the Lord's like going, what is wrong with you, you know? I think that it's so pervasive that it's even hard to see. And maybe it's the kind of thing that we won't really talk to many people about. Maybe just your wife, just your friend, you know, just the people it's safe to talk about it with, you know. And it might be okay to talk about it from time to time, at least in like a confession sort of way. Like, I don't want to admit this, but I was kind of happy to see this thing happen to this person, you know. Um, that's okay, I think. I mean, we have to be honest at the same time, but we don't celebrate it. It's not good, okay? And if we're going to be a people following God, this is, not, this is not a quality we can entertain, all right? Jeff and I have talked from the beginning of our church that our goal in kind of, if you say, like, what's the culture? And like, I don't know. But a value we've always had is take God extremely seriously because God's serious. Um, but don't take yourselves so seriously. And when you mix those two together, that's what we're, I think, trying to do. You know, so Lord, I pray that you would help us to walk humbly with you. And even though this is silly, and maybe I didn't even explain that middle part well, pray that you would open our eyes to these things in our lives, and that you would speak to our hearts that they do not matter, that we're not a loser because you say we're not, not because we win at this weird game that the world has made. And we're not a failure because you say we're not, not because we just get to win all the money and all the whatever, the prestige and look a certain way. Let your kingdom come and your will be done in this place and in our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. God's kingdom doesn't function by these rules. I'm going to move on. I really wish I had thought through that middle section better because I wasn't planning on saying it, but I think you'll understand. So another point I had was that things that might not seem a big deal to us are a big deal to God. And sometimes things that we, it's not 100%, all right? So don't just go, well, everything I think is not a big deal is obviously a big deal to God, and everything I think is a big deal is obviously not. It doesn't work like that. Often, things that we think are a big deal God's not all that interested in, in the sense of whatever we think it's doing. And what God is interested in doesn't seem like a big deal to us. This has happened to me in my life so much when I'm praying, like, oh, God, what are And he's like, this very simple thing. I'm like, obviously you didn't hear what I was praying about because I was talking about big important things, and you said this little thing, which is not important. And he's like, it's important to me. So then you have to go, well, I guess you're wrong or you don't know what you're talking about, which is not a good way to pray, probably. But um, you have to be constantly open to God defining and highlighting what's important in our lives through his word, through other people, these spiritual disciplines. We become awakened to... God's kingdom, in our, you know, what it's like to live following after Jesus and priorities shift. 
sometimes a lot. I mean, sometimes we come from a really messed up background, you know, and it's not even our fault, you know. For example, if you had an abusive father, the evil and all the things that that person did to you stack up like a, you know, I mean, most people that have that kind of thing, it's just, I can't go there, you know. So you're carrying around this weight of pain caused by this, this evil done to you by this person. And then you come into a church and people talk about God the Father. And you're like, I don't want to talk about that. You know, I'll talk about Jesus as my friend or, you know, whatever. And you're like, no, God the Father. Like, no, I'm not talking about that. And um, if you get past, you say, why? And then you find out, oh, everything you know about fathers is evil and painful and wrong. And it's not your fault just happened and God doesn't say okay let's just skip that he might put it aside for a second because the father is merciful but he doesn't put it away forever what he says is let me show you what a real father is like and if we're open to it sometimes slowly sometimes instantly he shifts our understanding and brings into light what true fatherhood is and what he's like as a father. And then we can start to understand even being an earthly father or mother to a child through that, not the other way around. We have to unlearn behaviors that we've learned from our experiences. And like I was saying before about these hierarchies or whatever you might want to call them, I need a better term, social hierarchies, Power, power, whatever. Uh, if you live by these three principles, as I believe Jesus did, does anyone know what happened to Jesus? In relationship to the world, what, what happened to Jesus? How did they react to it? Yeah. So Jesus, who's freeing people and healing blind people, the power people go, we should probably kill this guy. And they did. So when Jesus says, those who, you know, if you're my follower, don't think they're going to do anything different to you, it doesn't always make you look good. That's important. Because looking good, we all care about. And I think with this whole social media thing, we care about it like on steroids. Like, I got to look good, you know. And I'm fine with taking a cool picture of me and my coffee in a Bible verse so I look deep. I'm not cool with, you know, sharing something about it that might be costly to my friends, you know. But it is costly. And there is no way around that. The gift of salvation that Jesus gives us is absolutely free, undeserved, and it's amazing. But the following of Jesus, the life that he's called us to, that's defined by like these three principles, is absolutely costly. And there's no way around that. Jesus himself described it as a narrow road. Matthew 7, 13 to 14, Jesus says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. 
if you think when Jesus is talking like that, that God is mean and says, I'm going to make this really hard and small and so that most people miss it. That's not what he's saying at all. It's not small to keep people out. And it's not small. He's like, enter it. But just, I'm letting you know, like these three qualities, you can't follow him and not do these three. The narrow road is narrow because it's narrow. <laughs> like most ways aren't it, you see? So the gate is small because that's the gate to the kingdom. And by its nature, it's difficult. Okay? Jesus is opening the gate. Come on in. But no, it's not a narrow road like let's make it really small like a bridge that only a few people can get across because it might fall down. There's nothing like that. It's just the fact that uh, I'm trying to think of the best terms to put it in. The, 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 the road itself when you widen a road of this kind You're adding like this. Follow me. It'll look like this. We're going to act justly. We're going to love mercy. And we're going to walk humbly with God. You go like, I like the justice one. And I like the humbly with God, I think. Or at least I like the with God, maybe not humbly. And the mercy thing, uh, if I get it, I'm cool with it. But other people, I, you know, can we cut that one out? What you've just done there is you tried to widen the road. You see what I'm saying? And it cannot be widened because by its definition, it is all. It's total. And so, really, you're devaluing it. And really, you're turning it into something that it can't even be turned into. Now it's not the narrow road. And so it's, it's kind of an, indis, it's an indistinguishable defining characteristic of the road that Jesus is saying, I'm just describing it for you. We didn't make it this way. See what I'm saying? By it being what it is, it's narrow. If it's not narrow, it's not it. It's not possible to make a wide version of it in these kinds of roads, you see? Kayla, come on up here. I'm going to end with this quote I found when I was doing some research. Charles Spurgeon wrote this about the same verses here. And he's, you know, older, so some of the language is older. The first word is wherewith. But I want you to read, I want you to listen to this while I read it. She's going to play behind. I think he says it way better than anything I've said. But here's his commentary on the verses leading up to this micah 6 6 through 7 which is with what shall i come before the lord and bow down before the exalted one shall i come before him with burnt offerings with calves a year old all the stuff that makes me look good all the stuff that makes you know that maybe i've even seen churchy people do this this is god stuff i'm going to do all the god stuff is that what i should come before god with will the lord be pleased with thousands of rams i mean that's in the book will he be pleased with rivers of olive oil 
also in the book. I mean, I'll even go as far as, shall I offer firstborn for the transgressions and the fruit of my body for the sin of his soul? This is what he says regarding that. Where we, or here we go. The people will give God everything but what he wants. They begin, you see, by saying they will bring burnt offerings. They're ready to do that. The axe shall fall upon the head of numberless young bullocks, such as God demanded under the law. The people are ready enough for that sacrifice. As for the rams, they will shed their blood by the thousands. If oil is wanted for the meat offering, rivers of it shall flow. When they have offered what God would have, when they have offered what God would have, they offer what he would not have. What God abhorred and loathed, for they offered to give their firstborn for their transgressions. They insulted Jehovah with the sacrifices of Moloch, with human slaughter, offering their children to obtain atonement for their sins. They were willing to give even that length and to do anything but what God wants. And men will still give to God anything but what he asks for. Majestic edifices, gorgeous services, ecstatic music, even gold and silver. Anything but what the Lord demands. And here is God's answer. It's our verse. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So, Father, I pray that you would do this in our hearts. Some, if you can do it just by doing it, please do that. But if this is a journey that you lead us on, on this narrow road, Father, I pray that we would follow you. Give us the courage to follow you and lay down what must be laid down to come through that narrow gate. Father, fill this place with your presence. And as Kayla sings this song, I invite you to stand and sing along. If you want to come down and pray at the altar, that's you're free to do so. Um, and then we'll close in prayer. We power.